Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discussed the 2011 film Bridesmaids, so do be aware that this podcast contains light plot spoilers for the film Bridesmaids. You uh, don't have to have seen the film at all to enjoy the podcast, but it might help, uh, but if not, just sit back and enjoy and be cool with the fact that some elements of the plot might be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, how are you on this fine day? I'm good, and it's it's a sunny day, and it's um, what we in Europe refer to as Eurovision Boxing Day today. It's it's true. It's it's one of the most important holidays of the year um, it's, here it's in Europe. It's a special day. It is. It's you know, it's where you um, open the box that's been left by Eurovision claws overnight, and um, in it you might find some piece of Eurovision memorabilia. So this morning on my doorstep, I found a tiny little saxophone. Nice. And it had been sent to us from uh, the Moldovan entry, which was very, very happy. How epic was it very on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, dude. Um, I was at a Eurovision party last night and we ranked each performance based on the song, the performance and the staging. Really? And when Moldova's, uh, yeah, it was my brother's party and he, we, you know, we take it very seriously in the Gordon household, um, Eurovision. As well, um, you should. Yes, um, and so we uh, Moldova for me ended up with the perfect score of thirties of thirty across the board for all of them. Um, so it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I loved them a lot. I didn't get a um, a box from Eurovision clause. I just got a little bottle of Bucks Fizz. Oh, there we go. We're a very traditional traditional household because you know I think the the commercialization and of Eurovision and people not taking it seriously or knowing the true meaning of Eurovision is, you know, most of society's problems can be blamed on that, really, can't they? I think so, yeah. I mean, there has been this big push um, in recent years to really sort of commercialise Eurovision. Um, but you need to remember what it's all about, which is bad music um, <laughs> and and making British people very angry. Um, it needs to get back to its roots. Definitely. Bad music, bad haircuts... Killer melodies wrapped up in bad synthesizers. That's what it's all about. I'm trying to come up with some kind of midnight mass pun to do with Eurovision, but uh, it's a bit too early, I think. Well, see, not quite functioning. See how we see how we get on. Yeah, this is the first yeah. time we're recording in the morning, which is nice. So I'm I'm drinking coffee right now. Oh, and usually, I'm some, just drinking water. I've got some Ribena next to me. Trying nice. to get me a bit of a sugar boost after last night. Yeah. You always crash after Eurovision, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You put so much energy into into the sheer love of the evening. Yeah. That uh, the next day. So our film for this podcast was Bridesmaids, twenty eleven. Yes. Yes. So I was going to watch this on it's Sunday morning now. I was going to watch it Friday night, um, but Claire didn't want to watch it because um, we saw it when together when it came out, and she hated it. And she said she didn't want to watch that shit again. <laughs> so um, instead she... we watched half of the new series of Master of None, which is really good. Oh, okay, cool. Have you seen the first series? No, no, I've not seen Master I of None. I highly recommend it. It's a it's a Netflix original, I think. Um, Aziz Ansari, Eric Wareheim, 
really, really great cast and just generally very, very funny look at romance and technology and a lot of modern things. And he's the second series is a bit more experimental with the storytelling. Um, like the first episode is all in black and white and it's like an Italian film and it's in Italy. And yeah, I won't spoil it for you, but it's a really, really good series. Oh, brilliant. So we watched it, that instead of watching Bridesmaids. So I, yeah, I watched it I, yesterday. I and I watched, um, I sort of ran out of time. I was doing other things. I was quite busy. So I watched half of it before Eurovision and then the other half after Eurovision and then watched oh, it right. quite late. So that might have colored my, my view <laughs> of the film. So, yeah, I got a message from Claire the other day just telling me I hate bridesmaids. So, <laughs> <laughs> was that it? Yeah. yeah pretty elaborate. much. It's just, yeah, I, I, I hate bridesmaids. Katie and I love it. Oh, really? So, um, we were more than willing to watch it again. Ah, interesting. I think I I fall somewhere between the two. Actually, is that there are bit, there are things about it that I appreciate it, that I really appreciate, and things about it that I um that I don't like. But Claire hated it because she, in her words, she said that it promised much and delivered very little, which I think okay. actually is a comment on how it was marketed. Yeah, I suppose when it came out, it was supposed to be like. Um not only one of the funniest films ever made, but also sort of like the female focus of it and like the female centric plot was really sort of marketed as something incredibly unique and powerful. Yeah. Which it wasn't necessarily really mm. all that to, to say that is to probably erase a lot, the funniness of a lot of earlier comedies featuring women, you know, there's a lot of great films that are just female comedies have been made <laughs> before 20. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and the posters, I went back and looked at some of the posters and they all say um, that the tagline was chick flicks don't have to suck. And I thought that was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of dumb. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember at the time a lot of speaking to a lot of people who, and it really has kind of divided people. A lot of people I know really love it. A lot of people I know really hate it. Women, I think, I mean, have strong opinions on it. Most, I don't remember speaking to many men about it, but most of them, I think are just kind of on the fence. Oh, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, it, Bridesmaids is one of those, it's one of the first movies that I remember where um, men's rights activists types got really, really angry. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, so I, I remember at the time online people being all like, this is ridiculous, this is revolting, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and well, like, that's, it was a, the that's first, a good thing then. Yeah, it's the first time that I kind of noticed that side of like movie lovers having this kind of darker sexism behind it which kind of which then eventually rolled into um paul feig and Kristen wig and um melissa mccarthy eventually being in the ghostbusters sequel yeah which i have um, not seen it's not great um it's uh feels a bit like a missed opportunity because you've got all of these incredibly talented people and like there are some funny bits in it but it still feels like they could have done more with it if they'd kind of been a bit more out there. So it kind of still feels a bit, a little bit too kiddie and a little bit too action focused when it could have been more of a comedy. Right. Um, and there's a few sort of like jokey bits in it that don't quite work. Um, it's a bit more sort of slapsticky. Um, but it's still, it's still a quite a fun movie to watch and Kay McKinnon's performance in it is hilarious. Yeah. Um, I think so it's, worth, it's it. worth watching for that alone. Do you think um, maybe they were trying to sell action figures? Yeah, because I think like it is a. I mean, people people are far too praising of the original Ghostbusters. It's a really funny film, but at the same time, it does have a lot of like 
crass humor in it yeah so like the one bit that never nobody remembers is that um uh what's his name um uh ray in it um he gets given a blowjob by a ghost and his eyes cross and it's like that's one of the shittest like visual gags <laughs> i ever remember seeing in a film i've totally forgotten about that yeah i haven't seen that and film in a long time but i think i and, saw and that so, bit like, when i was these... too young to really understand what a blowjob was oh, right, and i was very yeah. confused by it and and like it's one of those things where it's like yeah okay there are all these really funny bits in it but it's not entirely perfect and like there are lots of bits in it that are clearly sort of meant to capitalize on young viewers which is fine you know that's the kind of thing that you expect from a movie that's trying to appeal to all ages you want it to sell action figures you want it to be hugely marketable um but i think because of the legacy that ghostbusters left behind and because of like it has all of these top peak performances by the actors um the expectations set of any kind of sequel were far too high um particularly when there was immediately people up against it because it had an all-female cast. Yeah, and when it was however many years on as well. Yeah, like the legacy of Ghostbusters grew and grew and grew and people remember the best bits of it more than the worst bits of it. Yeah, I I mean, I I enjoyed Um, Ghostbusters, seeing it whenever I saw it. I was young, but yeah, I never have been like a huge fan of it. I think the the theme music of it is actually better than the film. <laughs> See, I do I do love Ghostbusters. Um, I do think it's a really it is a sort of classic of eighties comedy. Um, but at the same time, it you know all all movies age, but I feel comedies often age particularly badly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's one of those ones that does have these timeless jokes in it, which is why it's managed to stay so relevant for so long. So there are still incredibly funny moments to it. Um, but try not to eulogize too much about movies, I think is the the message to take away from it all. Anyway, back onto Bridesmaids. Yeah, the link because... um, there being Melissa McCarthy, who just mm-hmm. get she gets a pass because of Gilmore Girls. I'm just going to say that right now. She's allowed to do whatever the hell she wants because she was <laughs> one of my favorite characters in Gilmore Girls, and she it was just a wonderful, wonderful performance, yeah, and a ray of yeah. sunshine throughout that show. But um, I think Melissa McCarthy gets a pass because she's consistently hilarious in everything that she's in. I can't think of a movie I've watched with Melissa McCarthy in where I haven't thought that she's stolen it from everyone else in it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I consider, um, I consider Bridesmaids to be one of, one of those movies. Yeah, no, she, her performance is definitely one of the best in the, the whole film. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and like she, this was kind of like, I mean, she'd been in Gilmore Girls before this, obviously, but this was like the really big sort of film breakout for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at what she what she went on to do afterwards. She was she was in The Heat, for instance, um, which which is it's like a buddy cop movie comedy with um, Sandra Bullock, oh, and cool. they're two they're two cops basically trying to crack this case, and it's quite it's very funny. Um, and then she did Spy, which is like a, a spy movie spoof, um, which I don't know if you've seen that. I, I've seen the trailers for it. Again, a, a lot of the trailers for these films are ones where the trailer, I think, punches down and makes it look a bit dumb. So I'm yeah, always kind yeah. of a bit reluctant to go and watch them, but they probably are actually good. And I'm probably just being a bit of a snob. Probably, I think I think the problem with a lot of these films is that the marketing never matches what the content is. And I think that's one of the big problems with Bridesmaids. Like you said about the um, chip flicks don't have to be rubbish kind of marketing thing that was around. Um, it's um, 
yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think particularly maybe because it's like a female focused thing, but they feel like they need to make it look as slapstick and stupid as possible. Yeah. To try and get people into the seats. Whereas in fact, there's quite a lot of funny jokes. I mean, going back to spy, it's got Jason Statham in it, which I mean, that's an obvious point for me. Um, And like, he plays this really hardcore spy who doesn't believe that Melissa McCarthy's character can do it. And like, he's telling it all these stories about like um, how, uh, you can't do this stuff. I've done all of this amazing stuff. Um, and like, there's this story he tells us like, I drove a car off a freeway on top of a train while it was on fire. Not the car. I was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I like it's, Jason Statham. I think yeah, he's, I like Jason Statham he's, as well. He's able to laugh at himself, isn't yeah, he? And yeah, that's definitely. the main thing. Um Yeah. And, and, but yeah, and I think, I think uh, that whole problem with the marketing versus the reality of, is very true of bridesmaids where there's like if you looked at the trailers at the time and it even if you look at like the scenes that uh, people most talk about there's lots of moments outside of that that are very different so so one of the scenes that i think that gets spoken about quite a lot in bridesmaids is the wedding fitting yeah the wedding dress fitting scene yeah i feel um, like that scene is very gratuitous and it does I having think thinking about it again. I thought about this carefully last night because I remember being really grossed out by it, and not in a good way, not in a kind of you're 15 and you're watching a gross out film and it's hilarious kind of way. Just in a way where I felt like we didn't need to see what was going on behind the bathroom door. Like we didn't need to see Melissa McCarthy shitting in a sink, you know, like that, <laughs> <laughs> like or any of them shitting or puking in a sink. I if I if it was me writing it, I would have just had them all. You'd hear the puking behind the door, but I still would have had the scene where Maya Rudolph goes out and then just sinks down in the wedding dress because I feel like that is really effective. Like you don't see the poop, you just kind of she goes, it's happening, and then she just kind of sits down silently. I felt like that was a really, really good way of expressing the horror of that thing. See, I think I think this is going to be the first movie on the podcast where we don't agree. Yeah, because I like I know that scene is very, very different from the rest of the movie in general, but I absolutely love it. And the bit where um, oh, what's her name? Um, Ellie Kemper vomits on Melissa on um on the other woman's head. Yeah, that's on when, horrible. On, on Rita's head, <laughs> just makes me laugh every single time I see it. Um, see, I am I, laughing. I, I, really, see, I can't yeah. help myself. I am laughing at the memory of that. So maybe I'm maybe I'm being uptight. I, I just I really like the fact that, and and I think again, it's part of the part of the way that Bridesmaids managed to get this huge reputation that it did is because it had these scenes in it that weren't expected from the kind of movie that the basic plot is describing. Mm. Um, so I think that without these films, would it have got anywhere near as big as it did? And I don't think it would. If if they did do it in a more subtle way, I think maybe people would have just glossed it over and they would have missed all of the really, really funny other moments in it. Yeah, I, I think you're right, definitely. And th- those kind of things really helped with the marketing and to give it a broader appeal because actually I feel like, yeah, some people just want to go and watch a dumb comedy, don't they? I don't, I don't want to make yeah. any kind of huge sweeping generalisation about audiences, but it, if they had done it in a more subtle way, I don't feel like it would have done as well as at the box office because that's just how it is. You know? yeah. So maybe I'm trying to make it into something that it was never trying to be. Yeah, so I, I think it's sort of... It's a very cleverly put together movie um, it, from a kind of cynical perspective in that it it know, it knew exactly how to get 
everybody in to come and see it regardless of what they are after yep. so like the main plot is quite heartwarming and like there's quite a lot of nice nuance between the characters and everything like that but then it does have these very memorable gross out comedy scenes and like silly scenes to keep everybody happy yeah. although people still got very angry with it yeah but yeah only only the men's rights activists people who should all just go and jump off a pier so. <laughs> <laughs> if we t- i think if we tell them that um feminism doesn't want them to go and jump down a well then they they might do that and they'll they'll jump in the well yeah we just take, need to, take, um... take that, Anita Sarkeesian. <laughs> Suck it, Lena Dunham. I'm going to jump down a well and you can't stop me. Yeah, all we need to do is get that, that Prison Planet idiot guy to tweet that um, feminism doesn't <laughs> want everyone to jump in a well. And then he'll jump in a well and then the rest of them will follow yeah. suit, I assume. Yeah, and then and then Lassie will come to help them and they'll turn it down because it's a woman, <laughs> female dog. So they'll be like, oh, I don't need your help, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this could be quite a good um subplot for sensations a kind of men's oh, rights really? activist yeah, yeah. subplot with a cute dog who refuses, they, they like they refuse the, to be saved they they like that the final is between two men yeah and they're all like yeah women can't get into eating competitions blah 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 yeah women can't eat it's um, just they, that they, their, they their bodies like... are just different you know it's biology you can't argue with that it's yeah, you know, women can't eat hot dogs. It's not it's not physically possible. It's been proven in loads of studies by hack scientists. Um, and they could basically be the um, the the equivalent of the Nazis in Blues Brothers for oh, sensations. Is we yeah. could have MRAs. That's that's a really good idea. Yeah, give it if yeah. your film is kind of potentially feeling a little bit limp. You, what you need to do is stick a kind of big Nazi or right wing villain plot over the top of it, like they did in Blues Brothers. Because <laughs> Blues Brothers should have, it could have done without the Nazis, but they really added this kind of hilarious sort of cult yeah, thriller it, thing that I really love. Actually, it's they really they literally did nothing for the plot at all. The the only reason they were there is because they, they just went, "I hate Nazis," and drove and knocked them all off the the bridge uh, in one scene and then they just decided to follow the police brothers and they literally added nothing whatsoever to the plot of the film yeah. so yeah in sensations we should have like um, a bus full of mras um on its way to the eating competition that then like gets struck and falls off a bridge into the sea and they all die <laughs> um, and, and it should all be played completely straight like all of a sudden it turns into like a disaster movie and then cuts straight back to just a comedy and it's oh. never mentioned again yeah so you get like 10 whole minutes of like disaster porn and then just you're back you're back in <laughs> yeah. the tent with Guy Fieri and then, and then yeah and then back to um, Smashed Biscuits just playing a song <laughs> yep sold um, if you haven't heard episode one or episode two, that the last sort of three to five minutes probably are making no sense to you right now. Um, it's yeah, go back and listen to episode one, and episode two. We're writing a film called Sensations. Long story short, Guy Fieri and Adam Richman as love rivals. Um, the it's sort of expanding now to the point where it might become a, what you might call an ensemble cast movie which I think is a good segue back into Bridesmaids because it was kind of made out to be an ensemble cast film um, of all like relatively up-and-coming good female comic actresses. But really, it was a story about two women's friendship. And I wondered what you thought about if there was a disconnect between those two things. Yeah, so I think like the 
there there is a there is a real sort of difference here where um like you said it is kind of, it was kind of pushed forward as this ensemble piece but like i mean you've got the other bridesmaids don't really do all that much um so you've got ellie kemper and um you've got um the person who plays rita what's her name uh wendy wendy mcclendon covey mm. as the two um as the two bridesmaids apart from rose byrne and they kind of they just occasion like they have a nice relationship between them but they don't really do all that much additionally in the film no they're kind of comic foils um, aren't they yeah yeah um whereas it i mean and then melissa mccarthy um doesn't have all that much additional screen time to the other two but just kind of steals it whenever she's on on screen yeah um so really it does although it is billed as this big ensemble piece it still is sort of Kristen wig and maya rudolph and it all revolves around their relationship and then that competition that comes in from rose byrne um yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting the way they did it, but I think that they they handled that quite well. Um, you got an immediate sense of their friendship and sort of like what it was based around, and it's based around all these sort of old traditions and like long lasting friendship. They know each other very well, um, but that their lives are drifting in two different directions. Yeah, um, and then you've got Roseburn, who's sort of like the epitome of what Maya Rudolph character wants to achieve and could achieve um quite easily versus like the real clash with Kristen Wig, who sort of like failed at her attempts to do things outside of the norm and being unable to really hold down a steady job and kind of stuck in the kind of mindset that she had been for the past few years yeah and that that's um the kind of aspirations of all of the various characters and things that I find very very interesting because um Maya Rudolph, it's never really quite clear whether she does want all the stuff that's happening mm. um, and the, the wedding and the aspirations to be kind of rich and that kind of thing until it gets to the point where she's disappeared and you actually, and um, they have to go and try and find her and she's just hiding out in her apartment and you'd think, oh, maybe she actually doesn't want all this stuff and is mm. she just kind of going along with it? And that, I think, makes her character like a hundred times more interesting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's sort of it's almost as though she's getting um, getting wrapped up in the excitement of the wedding, and then sort of starts getting super into having the biggest wedding she could possibly have, um, and so it makes sense that um, Rose Byrne's able to feed off that because because um, she's quite an interesting character when it gets down to it, Rose Byrne, because there's nothing inherently awful about her even though she's seen as like this kind of nemesis throughout the film um and she's got this kind of inability to really connect with people that she finds she's then able to do by using her assets in terms of financial wealth to try and sort of build bonds with people um so it makes sense that their relationship kind of grows better and better as she's able to use that to help achieve the temporary goals of Maya Rudolph to have this huge wedding yeah, and yeah, that's the the so the female friendship is examined from two angles, which I think is is smart. One of the smart things about the film is you've got the the Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph people maybe at different stages of their lives or moving in different directions, um, that kind of thing. And then you've got the the kind of woman alone, really seeking friendship, and you don't mm. really because it's all kind of from Kristen Wiig's point of view until the point where they're in the car together. 
um, looking for Maya Rudolph. And then actually it's kind of suddenly all about Helen. Um, and and you're going, oh, wow, OK, you you sort of that it was hinted at under the surface that she's kind of um, a bit on her own, like the scene with the stepsons where he <laughs> really good performance from the older stepson. Yeah, uh, she's yeah. Like trying to be all chummy and he goes, oh, fuck off. <laughs> that tickled me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. her reaction to it, because she's unable to um, she can't hate anybody. And and I think that's a really nice character trait is she's unable to turn around and give that backlash to somebody else. Yeah. The further she gets down that route is um is with Kristen Wig, where um where they're playing tennis, for instance, and they have that rivalry and they're hitting the ball at each other. With um Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, which is just a perfect <laughs> song for that. I thought that was a really good choice of song because A C D C's songs all sound the same. But that one is an earlier song when they had the different singer who died, um, I think. And yeah, um, yeah. his voice is really kind of gravelly and it's like, Daddy Deeds, Thunder Cheap. I love that. It's great. Um, yeah, so so I think uh, I, I mentioned it before um, when we were talking about 10 Things I Hate About You, um, about how sort of like every single character really stands out on their own. Mm. Um, and I think I think Bridesmaids is another film that manages to pull this off quite well. Um, so uh, even even like the minor characters in it, um, so like the um, the uh, uh, what's it, the the cop on the plane? Oh, the air marshal guy. Yeah, the air marshal. Who's he um, is um, married to Melissa McCarthy in yeah, real life. Yeah, his, his, and I can't his, remember uh, his husband. name. Um, he has an excellent mustache. Yes. <laughs> also. Until I'd seen that film, I had not heard of the concept of an air marshal. Is that an American thing? Am I just ignorant? Um, I think it's an American thing, yeah. I don't know if we get them on international flights. Right. Um, but I think sort of internal flights, they have air marshals on. Right, okay. Um, or, or they can have an air marshal on it. I don't think they always have one on each flight. Yeah. But yeah, that, um, that is a kind of just stupid little joke, kind of, is he or isn't he an air marshal? And then he is an air marshal. That's quite a satisfying sort of little joke that, that kind of di- yeah, diverts yeah. and helps helps to um, build up Melissa McCarthy's character as someone who's got security clearance, which she reveals later on that she's got like the highest possible security clearance. And I, I don't yeah. know, that's quite, that's quite funny. It's yeah, it's 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 there's there's all these nice little moments, and then you've got Matt Lucas and Rebel Wilson oh, as the yeah. creepy, creepy brother and sister that are Kristen Wiig's uh, roommates. That is so um, it's so weird because it's like, why would incredibly English Matt Lucas dressed up in like always in like a kind of beige shirt and always the tie, like one of his kind of George Dawes characters? Why yeah. would he be living in Milwaukee? It's just I know it's it, it, but but like it works so well that you've got this um, like his character is just pitch perfect for it, and they've got this incredibly creepy relationship going on. Yeah, um, they're, they're in the bath. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, when they're in the bath and he's shaving her armpit. And it's just like, oh God, what's going on? It's horrendous. Yeah. And um, my favourite uh, incidental character, I think, is it's right at the beginning. Um, they're in they're in the park and they're working out, and it's the kind of establishing scenes of their of the friendship between Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph. They're in the park and they're working out behind the tree, and it's oh, Terry yeah, Terry yeah. Crews. Terry Crews, yeah, <laughs> workout guy, and he's like chasing them. I, that 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 really tickled me. I love Terry Crews. Yeah. Speaking of people who steal the scene, whenever they're in a film terry cruz is one of those people um so 
Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Expendables movies. No, I haven't. I think you've told all, me to watch them before. All, all of the old action movies of the 80s all team up and are in a kind of disappointing film in the end. Like You, you expect a lot more of it. But one of the best things about it is that Terry Crews is one of these Expendables. And every single time he's on screen, you're just like, yes, Terry Crews, come on. Yeah. Um, he's yeah, never no, given he's, a bad performance. No, he's always fantastic. Um, the other people I really like, I really like um, Kristen Wiig's mum. Yeah. Um, Annie's mum. She's uh, she's really funny. And you've got that really sweet scene at the end with Bill Cosby. Not the Bill <laughs> not, Cosby, not, for anyone not who's not seen one. the film. Yeah. Um, but a, uh, a, a, a mechanic who happens to be called Bill Cosby. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really nice. You've got all these nice little little moments you've got the um the flight attendant as well you've got steve the flight attendant oh yeah um, <laughs> well can we talk about the scene on the plane a little bit help me i'm poor um y- yes exactly which has um, become quite a used animated gif which is very you know it's very good that bitch yeah <laughs> the sunglasses um so uh so they're all flying to vegas for a Hindu that Kristen Wiig didn't want to do. Um, and she is not a very good flyer. Um, she happens to be put up next to another fantastic tiny character mm. um, in this, ne- this really nervous woman who, um, who, so Kristen Wiig sort of sits down next to her and it's clear that this other woman is scared about flying as well. Um, and so Kristen Wiig's kind of like saying, Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nervous flyer, and and this woman's like, uh huh, uh-huh. uh, I had a dream that the plane crashed. You were in it. <laughs> she goes, I heard that a woman got sucked right into the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she, uh, so Kristen Wiig is clearly very nervous and gets given a sedative of some description, um, and then chases it with some scotch, and um, it leads to. A wonderfully farcical scene um, where she is doped up to her eyelids and tries to sneak into first class multiple times to go and be with Maya Rudolph. Um, and yeah, she keeps being thwarted by this flight attendant who's just doing his job, but um, she does not recognise this at all. Um, so one time she she gets she gets kicked out um, after having gone. I'm here to party. <laughs> Um, comes back in on the other side wearing sunglasses. Yeah, wearing sunglasses to disguise herself. Sits down next to a passenger um, that she she t- t- pretends is her husband. Um, it's like I I am uh, Mrs. Iglesias. <laughs> I, I am not the woman you saw before. I'm Mrs. Iglesias. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Steve, the flight attendant, is just trying to stop her from coming in, um, and uh, <laughs> accidentally gets called stove. <laughs> that must have been a really fun scene to film actually it I, must have been great yeah i'd like yeah. to hope that they just decided to kind of do like a bunch of different takes and just have loads of really silly things and for her to like improvise it i don't know whether yeah not. yeah i mean it, it feels like that would be one of those scenes where that would happen um because it's one of those things where you'd like that kind of spontaneity um, but I, I didn't look at any of the additional features on the DVD. I don't know if there were some deleted scenes where they might have shown some of it. Because I know that in, in Anchorman, for instance, they did a lot of ad-libbing. Yeah. Um, and like on that D- on that DVD, you've got all these different like deleted scenes where you can see the alternative takes that they took. Oh, cool. Because um, um, Kristen Wiig co-wrote it as well. Yeah, yeah. 
So she might have had a good hand in just kind of messing around at that point. Mm. Yeah, um, but yeah, awesome. it's but yeah, it's, it's one of my one of my favourite scenes in the film. I think is the is the scene on the plane. Like another thing where I could watch it at any time of day, and I would still laugh my ass off. Yeah. Can talk about one thing that is not even really a scene, but just a small thing that really, really tickled me. Um, it's a really good um, juxtaposition. Is I don't know whether it was like it was cut by Judd Apatow who produced it because he's quite good at these kind of little moments of mm. incongruity. But it's the um, the wedding shower, as they call it there. Um, and um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she drives up to the fancy house in her old shit car, um, and she drives up the up the the drive and the guy hands her the pink lemonade and she can't yeah no cup holder but then yeah she gets she gets out of her car gives it to the valet and the next scene it cuts straight from the car to her sort of grumpily riding a horse and <laughs> it's like the, the cut straight to the horse the face that really really tickled me yeah and it was only she's only going like four meters into the house but the idea that you'd have the, the horse. fact that you then have to get on yeah yeah, it's brilliant. And then that, giving out puppies as Yeah, that like, whole gifts. thing where they, they get given a, a Labrador puppy as a gift for like a party favour. Yeah. It's just amazing. That's really that was a really good way of obviously making the kind of Helen's wealth thing come through without yeah, the, making the her sheer, seem spiteful. Yeah, the sheer excess of it, but in a good natured way. And then when you see after after she leaves, you see Melissa McCarthy driving past with like eight puppies in her car that yeah. she's taken. And then when she comes later on to have the moment where she functions as the guru figure and tells her to get up off her ass and turn it around, she's walking all the puppies in there as well. Yeah. That was really cute. Um, but this, yeah, the brilliant. scene at the, the wedding shower where um, it kind of really turns, I, I think is a very, very effective um, argument scene, which obviously when we mm. were in creative writing class, we focused a lot on sort of dialogue and arguments and that kind of thing. And that really got to the kind of the, that I thought was a very, very effective scene. Um, she, where like she's like, taking you to Paris. Are you fucking kidding me? And then she has this big rant and then Maya Rudolph, um, she kind of gets really shouty and all up in her face and it's a bit unexpected from her because up until that point she's been a little bit passive and you're not sure if she's just going along with this kind of thing. Um, and then she's all up and she's shouting and going, no, she does not get a puppy and yes, I've got my arsehole bleached and that kind of thing. And it's um, That scene kind of took me by surprise in, in the best way. And then Kristen Wiig is smashing up all the party stuff and there's like <laughs> yes. just swans just waddling in the background. Like that is that is very good. The kind of yeah, it was, it physical was dis- it was really destruction well of the of the, the things that represent Helen's wealth and she's literally physically destroying them. I think that was that was quite a clever way to represent that part of it without it being through kind of laboured dialogue. Yeah, no, it, it was a great it was a great scene. And like again, it kind of it shows the the nice complex underbelly under um, bridesmaids that kind of gets lost amongst all of the well-known scenes is that there is this nice relationship going on between these people and all of these complexities there. Um, so it kind of takes you aback because there's all these ridiculous moments beforehand. You're like, oh wow, okay, yeah. So this is really going on. Yeah. So that so that was good. And then after that, obviously they're they're not talking anymore and. Kristen Wiig's character hits rock bottom, and I felt like the the hitting rock bottom was a bit was a little bit kind of laboured. Like she mm. loses her job and then immediately loses her apartment and moves back in with her mum. And it was like it, I felt like it didn't need to go to the lengths it did 
to express the difference in her life stage with Maya Rudolph's life stage, but yeah. did give us the opportunity for Melissa McCarthy to visit her mum's house with a bunch of puppies. So yeah, yeah, I think I think maybe if she'd just been kicked out of her apartment, um, and maybe kept to the boring, horrible job that she had. Yeah. Um, although I do love the scene where she loses her job. Yeah, that is um, that is a good that argument with good that argument. teenager. Is is very is very funny. Very good um, teenager. Yes. Yeah. Um, but again, it probably didn't need to happen because, like, she eventually will get round to baking again. That's where her narrative is going to end up. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter if she has that job or not. You know that that's not going to be her career. She's not going to work in a jewelry store for her entire life. Yeah. Um, so you kind of don't need that to be lost as well. You've got enough loss because she's lost her relationship with Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. And um, she's lost her relationship with Maya Rudolph. And then if she loses her independence of living away from home as well, you've got that kind of reverse back to where she was when she first was friends with Maya Rudolph as well. Mm. So you didn't really need her to lose a job too. The unholy trinity. Yes. I, lo- I loved Chris O'Dowd in this as well. It's, I think it's the first thing I'd seen him in post the IT crowd, which I did think was a very good show that uh, like now has pa- perhaps not aged well. But um, in this, he's just he's just like he's inexplicably Irish, and then they make a joke about it. And um, the scenes between those two are quite charming, and their relationship develops in the pace of their relationship develops in quite a good way. Yeah, his his performance was very charming, and I think yeah, it's better I, when he's Irish than when he tries to put on an American accent because often you think it it doesn't quite land. There's that film, what's it called, where he's in it, Adam Scott's in it. It's about the two friends who decide to have a baby but to not get together. Oh, what is that? What the fuck is that film called? Uh, anyway, he puts on an American accent in that, and it's kind of dreadful. Oh, okay. He's in. Um... What else is he in where he's got an American accent? It's Girls, isn't it? Yeah. In yeah. Girls, he puts on an American accent. And his accent in that is okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, but I, I love him in this movie. And there's there's a great juxtaposition between him and um, uh, uh, John Hamm. Yeah. There's these two. There's there's not very many male characters in this movie that really have a lot of screen time. No, and that's good. Um, which is which is you know that's fine. Um, and you've got these two sort of like you've got John Hamm who's like the sleazy. It's the kind of character focused. that John Hamm always plays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Hamm is playing John Hamm. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but but what I liked about it is that um, he's not a deceptive character in this film, and it could have been quite easy to make it that he's stringing Kristen Wiig along, he's stringing Annie along. Um, but he's not. He makes it clear at every step of the way that he's not interested in being in a relationship with her. Yeah. Um, which I think is quite refreshing, because a, a lesser movie would have made it that she's sort of waiting on him to commit further, and that the the possibility of that happening hasn't been given up on yet. Yeah, that is a kind of a bit of a romantic film cliche, isn't it? Oh, he's yeah. not ready to commit, blah, blah, blah. And then the yeah. whole issue is centred around that, around the problem with the man. Whereas in this one, the, he's just, he's sleazy, that's it. She eventually takes action and decides to get out of the car and walk. And that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like he, because he's just, yeah, he, he's very open all the time about how he feels about her and how yeah. he feels about that relationship between them. And it is purely a physical one. And that's established um, quite well in the opening scene where it opens with the sex scene. They have they have some some very heavy and kind of 
comically thrusting sex. John yes. has his, yeah. his his horrible sex face, and then um, <laughs> they, they're in bed, and he go he goes, "I really want you to leave, but I don't know how to say it without sounding like a dick." Yeah, <laughs> and that that is kind of the essence of his character, which he do, he plays well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's very um, he pulls it off very well. I think. And there's another scene where they're in bed where it's not really related to their relationship, but it just really, really made me laugh. Is um, that she's tr- she's lying about the fact that she's like seeing someone else, and she goes, "His name is George, George Glass." <laughs> you know, when it's like you're trying to think of a name for something, and you just look at something, and then you say the name of that thing, and it's yeah. obviously fake. I, that that always really, really tickles me, and that but yeah, that that got to me. It just it, it really reminds me of. Um... In Bojack Horseman, Vincent Adultman. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the same kind of thing where no one's going to fall for that name, yet somehow they kind of, they kind of just let it slide. Yeah. What did you do today? I did a business. <laughs> I did a business. That oh man, Bojack Horseman is a brilliant, brilliant show. I, yes, I think it's, it's it's been well received, but it deserves to be like even more massive than it is. I think. Yeah. If, if anybody show. listening hasn't watched Bojack Horseman, get on it as soon as possible. Yeah, there's it's, I think three seasons on Netflix. Yeah, and and um, it's one of those shows where it you'll be laughing and then you'll suddenly feel incredibly depressed because of the undercurrent story, and then you'll go back to laughing immediately afterwards. It's, it 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 has a real emotional impact that you're not expecting from a show that's about an animated talking horse that drinks too much. Yeah, it's a lot of people I think are, are put put off by comedy cartoons and think that they're all kind of like if you weren't into South Park I think South Park turned off a lot of people from comedy cartoons and if you yeah if if you are in that mindset this could be a show that changes your mind because it is mm. all, all life all human life is in that show somewhere yeah yeah definitely it's another um, show where all of the kind of incidental small characters are really really good as well yeah, it's it's funny that there's been a few of those kind of animated shows that have come out recently that that have that are kind of pitch perfect in that way. So Archer as well is fantastic at every single character being perfect. I've not um, seen that. Have you not? It's basically um, what James if James Bond from the 1960s was around now without them having changed his attitudes. So he's like a sexist, misogynist, overly violent, psychologically damaged spy, basically. Um, And it's it's absolutely hilarious. He's voiced by the same person who does Bob's Burgers. Oh, right. He's Bob Belcher and Bob's Burgers. Um, And it's it's genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, It's really good. And also Bob's Burgers is fantastic for anyone who hasn't seen that. Yeah, I've dipped in and out of that. It's 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 very very good. I don't, I don't feel like it's as good as BoJack Horseman, but I've never sat down and watched a bunch of it. Whereas BoJack Horseman, I've kind of binged. Mm, yeah, I, I probably like BoJack more, but I have a real soft spot for Bob's Burgers. Um, well, the family unit of it's about this person who runs a burger joint, um, a struggling burger joint, um, and the family unit of him and his kids is just hilarious and every single one of the kids is really funny which you don't often get from shows um you don't often get funny children in in television shows i find and they're all all brilliantly written yeah that's a difficult difficult thing to write isn't it funny Mm. funny kid characters and then difficult to find kid actors who can make it funny yeah so i think they're all voiced by adults but um but the the actual they're written very impactfully as as children of different ages 
without it becoming kind of like overbearing. That's good. Cool. So bridesmaids. Yeah, we get to the end. She hits rock bottom. Melissa McCarthy is the guru figure who kind of lifts her up. They find they find Lillian. They bond. Um, it gets to the wedding. The wedding is awesome, and Wilson Phillips come out and play. And then the dad's like, I am paying for this shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. It reminded me of what a great song that is as well. Yeah, yeah. And weirdly, um, I'd, I hadn't thought about Wilson Phillips in probably, yeah, 10 to 15 years. And then at Eurovision last night, everyone was saying that one of the entries was very much like them. Um, and that reminded me of that song. And then after Eurovision, and I watched, you watched the second it. half yeah. where that came up. And it was like, oh, maybe like this is kind of some kind of transcendental higher state of Wilson Phillips consciousness that I'm getting into now. But I, yeah, I listened to that song this morning after I woke up. It's a very, very good song and a very good kind of film end credits song as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it works very well in that regard too. Um, uh, yeah. So, was, and then at the end she, Chris O'Dowd is there, like he's sort of sitting, leaning sexily on the car. I, li- I like that kind of them getting back together at the end because he takes his time about it as well. Um, it doesn't just happen immediately, which is a bit more realistic. She makes him the cake, and then he doesn't eat the cake immediately, and she sees it, and she goes off sad. And it's like, you you know that obviously they're gonna they're gonna get together at the end, but it that ha- that happens right at the end is kind of tacked on to the the friendship storyline, which is resolved by them at the wedding and with her and Helen having a nice moment as well. So the, it kind of that ultimately says that you know friendship and particularly female friendship can be very very complicated but if we all just understand each other um we can have like good and fulfilling friendships um and then kind of her happiness is sort of thrown in at the end just to tie it all up neatly and that's yeah you know, that leaves you with a nice feeling at the end i think yeah definitely um it's yeah it's a it's a it's a nice feel good film at the end yeah complete with complete with vomit on head <laughs> yeah that's the, that's the thing. It's 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 a feel good film that does well at examining female friendship, um, but it's it, it's wrapped up in vomit and poo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah. So th- there's a lot to love. There are some parts of it that for me I think just didn't quite land and were a bit laboured. It's maybe a lot of films. I think it's like two hours and twelve minutes, which is relatively long, I would say, and maybe it just didn't need to be that long. Mm. So for me, it's just a it's just a bit a bit laboured, but a generally enjoyable watch. So I'd I'd give it maybe six or seven out of ten. Well, the last time we we came up with a, a pie scale for waitress, didn't we? We gave it fifteen yeah. pies out of twenty. So how many pies? How many cupcakes out of twenty? Oh, do you give so pies? I, I was going to go down the um, spoiled Brazilian meat roots. Oh. And I'd, I'd probably give it, I'd rate it quite highly. I'd probably give it 17 or 18 pieces of spoiled Brazilian meat out of 20. Cool. That's that's pretty much a full chiroscuro yeah. meat hanger thing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, mean, I, I really love Bridesmaids, though. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Cool. Good choice, though. Good choice to do a relatively recent film that we had both seen before but had to watch again. No, that was, that was good. So, so it's your it's your choice now, isn't it? For it next, is. For it's my choice. Um, I am gonna say um, we've had more than we've had multiple requests for this film already. It's it's turning out to be our most requested film. So I think we should get to it. Give the people what they want. Um, this is you've got mail. Oh yeah, brilliant. Um, a number of people have said that that this is a film. I think 
because of the particular, as you say, technological aspect and the way that it might have dated, but probably still have lots of things to to love and enjoy about it. It's probably dated in a charming way. People that we like, Tom Hanks, etc. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a good one, and a lot of people have requested it, so that's going to be my choice for next time. Brilliant! I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Yeah, me too. So I have a, a couple of other bits of um, listener follow up as well. So this is where we're going to get to um, to this part of the podcast, hopefully, if you send us a bit more. If there's anything you want us to know, anything you want to say, anything you want to jump in with at all, uh, we're at uh, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com and on Twitter, uh, bigboysdon'tpod. Um, my friend Joe, who is um, a friend and colleague from our Dublin office, hi Joe, um, sent me this article about Andrew Keegan, who played the, um, the jock character in 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh yeah, uh, I was. I was had no idea. I had not really seen him in any other films, or no idea what he went on to do after Ten Things I Hate About You. Um, it turns out he is a cult leader now. No way. Were you aware of this? No, he's okay. a cult leader. Yeah, she sent me this article from uh, Jezebel. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll read a little bit of it. And um, the headline. This is from last year, so I don't know what the status. If we can find out an update on what the status of this now. This is from September last year. It says um, the headline is Andrew Keegan's cult is going broke, but you can buy crystals to help. Uh, oh my <laughs> god! Even the funniest, most shocking celebrity stories, the ones that hit you like a wrecking ball when first reported, can quickly fade from your memory like a disappointing pop single after a week or two. Uh, former teen icon Andrew Keegan's spiritual community in Venice, California, is one of those stories. Um, apparently, they're in financial trouble. Just looking through this, it's called Full Circle. Okay, Full Circle, the cult in question, is reportedly desperate to secure funds that will cover rent and operations related to the 111-year-old building they've occupied since 2014. They need $111,000, but have only collected $27,000. You'll be rewarded if you help, or you'll be punished, depending on how you feel about jewellery that's been infused with love. Wow, so they had some kind of campaign. Love jewellery. Yeah. An $11 donation rewards supporters with two rose quartz heart bracelets that will will be placed on Full Circle's altar during our Sunday meditation. Full Circle writes that the crystal heart bracelets will be infused with the love of our community prior to being delivered. At press time, nine bracelets have been claimed. Wow, I need to I need to find out more about this. But yeah, Andrew Keegan from 10 Things I Hate About You is now leading a cult. God bless him. Okay, I just went to their um, <laughs> their Indiegogo campaign page, and it still appears to be active. Oh right, okay. Yeah, well, the donate now button is still live. Um, Twenty eight and a half thousand dollars raised by one hundred and fifty three people in nine months. It's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, if they can raise that money for a cult, we must be able to get that for Sensation, surely. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking at their thing. It's actually doesn't look too bad it looks there seems to be a lot of people doing yoga oh maybe it's maybe it's not so bad it's a holistic community center oh okay this actually doesn't look too bad i think maybe jezebel's reporting is being a bit sensationalist here so it's more of like a sort of new age church kind of thing yeah as opposed to a cult yeah i mean the the crystal thing is obviously bullshit but it, it doesn't seem like an actual cult so oh, that's a bonus. Fair play to him. And he's he's not aged too badly. He looks he's got a little bit of a Bruce Springsteen look about him here. He's got a he's got a mustache and some quite good hair. 
Oh yes, I I have now gone onto the website myself to have a look, and yeah, he's looking all he's looking all right. Yeah, yeah. So fair play to him. I'm sure you could find ten things to hate about his cult, but I'm sure you could find more things <laughs> to love about it. Very well done. <laughs> oh, good luck I to appreciated him. Appreciated that. But yeah, thanks, Joe, for sending us that. If anyone has any other updates on what actors from the '90s are doing right now, we're always always up for hearing those and for finding out if they're still doing romantic things. Um, my dad, Martin J, has um, left a comment about episode one. I'm just going to read it out. It says, hey, guys, I listened to episode one last night. Really enjoyed it. I've never seen the film, but that didn't stop me enjoying the cast in any way. Cast meaning podcast. So really looking forward to the next one. I enjoyed the reference to Rat Race as the film where All Star is played at the end. It's a pretty average movie by and large, but I love the performance of the great John Lovitz in it. He plays a guy called Randy Pear. <laughs> Brilliant name, <laughs> whose character is described by Wikipedia as an irresponsible and recklessly opportunist tourist, and who accidentally visits a museum dedicated to Nazi Klaus Barbie with his family and steals Hitler's staff car from it. Lovitz is an SNL stalwart who also plays the lecherous guy in the pod ne- next to Tom Hanks in Big, and special one for Paddy, the voice of the radio in the Brave Little Toaster. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dad. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, have you ever seen the Brave Little Toaster? Yeah, I have. I yeah. love that film so much. Um, but no, I, I really like um, John Lovitz. He's got that great... Uh, he's in that one fantastic episode of Friends um, where he's set up on a date with um, with Rachel. Oh, I don't um, remember that. And um, and basically, he's just like the most pathetic man you'll ever meet. It's it's really funny. He puts in this brilliant performance. Cool. Um, Is this character called Randy Pear, though? No, he's not called Randy Pear. At least I don't think so. I think I'd remember if he was called Randy Pear. <laughs> yeah, this means that we definitely re- need to like rewatch Rat Race at some point. Maybe we could do a kind of um, After Dark thing. You know, like some podcasts have an After Dark thing where it's like paid episodes or like... Oh, yeah. If yeah. people who sub- subscribe on Patreon or whatever. I don't think we, we, we want to do anything like that just yet. But maybe in the future we could do a thing where it is non-romantic films. Cause there's that, that would be... That would be nice, yeah. Because there's a few movies I'd love to watch that don't fit onto the onto this uh, into this format. Yeah, me too. Um, and um, friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, has asked us if um, Flubber could be considered a romantic film, and I think probably no. So, but I think I feel like we do need to talk about Flubber at some point. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's not quite. It's got that romantic subplot, but it's more about the family unit. Um, overall, but I would love to speak about Flubber. Yeah, so we could have like a family unit sideline. Yeah, there's a lot that we could do, but I still yeah. feel like talking romance is is the most important thing for now, and the most important thing in life. Yeah, obviously. What is life without romance? Yes, exactly. Um, and the the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about was how um, in my dad's comment he said, "I've never seen the film, but that didn't didn't stop me enjoying the podcast." And um, this is a question that I think a couple of people have asked me is like, do you have to have seen the film to watch the podcast? And I think the answer is no. Um, mm. But uh, you have to be okay with the fact that the plot is most likely going to be a little bit spoiled for you. But I feel like it doesn't really matter because most of the plots of these kind of films are predictable anyway. And it's not really about that. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, we've got a movie later on um, where I think we'll have to make sure we put an additional spoiler warning halfway through. Um, it's, there's a a film we're going to be watching at some point called Spring, which mm-hmm. is a romantic body horror. 
Oh, yeah. Um, which uh, is something I request because I'd love to hear Paddy's thoughts on it. It's a movie that I find very interesting. Um, but I think particularly before we talk about certain aspects of that, we might want to put in a few additional spoiler disclaimers halfway through so that if you like what you've heard so far, pause the podcast, go watch the movie, come back and listen to the rest of it. Okay. Because yeah. there's moments in that where you wouldn't want to spoil it because it would then be a negative impact on someone's enjoyment of the movie overall. Yeah, that, that if there's if there's a negative impact of the enjoyment of the movie, then that's the thing. Well, we'll pop in an additional warning, and I always do the the uh, the additional warning at the beginning of the podcast anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. But generally, if you if you're kind of telling your friends, telling anyone about it, um, or thinking, should I listen to this episode? You don't have to have seen the film at all, and I think we just the the chat about it and about the things that we discuss are all kind of universal romantic film stuff. Um, and yeah, we'd encourage you to listen to as many episodes as possible, whether you've seen the film or not. Yes, definitely. And, you know, please, um, please share it with your friends. If you like it, tell people about it. If you don't like it and you want to slag us off, do it privately. Um, maybe you can email us on the, the email address that I mentioned earlier, but won't repeat again. So you don't do it now. Um, and if you, if you do really like it, leave us an iTunes review and give us five stars because that's how we climb up the charts. And we want to, we want to climb up the charts, yo. Because we want everyone to to appreciate romantic films as much as we do, and as many people as we can get behind sensations as possible as well. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I didn't want to kind of push that too much, but yeah, that that's obviously ultimately what this podcast is really about: is our our <laughs> film vehicle and getting people on board, building up the ensemble cast, making sure that all of the small characters in Sensations are as as well rounded as Terry Crews's character in Bridesmaids, for example. Who could Terry Crews be in Sensations? Oh man, I feel like he'd be an angry, angry chef, angry prep cook, angry chef, get yeah, out of I my like kitchen that. kind of guy. Yeah, maybe one of the contestants in the, or maybe a contestant in the early rounds of the eating competition who eats too much and faints. Or oh, they they blame their loss on the fact that the food is not good enough quality. Oh, and then Terry Crews comes out as the chef, and, and... he's he's the guy who made the food. And there's there is a scene, an altercation. Yes, exactly. Yep. There we go. Okay, we've got Terry Crews into the Cruise, movie now. Angry got chef. him locked in as Angry Chef. Yep. Angry Chef number one. We could we could have Angry Chef number two and number t- number three as well. But, but they yeah. should all be played by Terry Crews <laughs> wearing a different kind of fake mustache. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they'll, they'll do the thing where it'll be expensive, but it'd be worth doing to have all three of them standing there at once in the one yes. shot. Yeah. 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 Terry Crews CGI. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, it's been nice talking to you about Bridesmaids, man. That was a good shout. Yeah, um, it was enjoyable. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Hope you guys have all enjoyed this episode, and we'll we'll see you next week when we'll be talking about You've Got Mail. Alrighty. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>